Oh, it is so good to be here with you this morning. If you're new, welcome. My name is Ronnie. I'm one of the pastors here at Substance. If you got your Bible, do me a favor, grab it and turn to the book of John. This is in the New Testament. Four books in, Gospel of John. We're starting off our 25-year series uh, through the Gospel of John starting this morning. I'm exaggerating. We're not sure how long it's going to go, but it's going to be long. And there's going to be some breaks and gaps in between it. Uh, but we're kicking this off. I've been really looking forward to this. So if you got your Bibles, Gospel of John chapter 1. If you're on a device and you haven't been with us before, you can go to the ESV version. And that way you can stay tracking with us as well. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18 is where we're going to be going this morning. This is what it says. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side has made him known. This is the word that we are going to be looking at today as we open up our series in the Gospel of John. Gospel of John is the f one of four Gospels. It goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Gospel of John is a little bit different from Matthew, Mark, and Luke in the sense that it starts us off in this particular place showing us everything that John wants us to know as he begins this introduction about the person of Jesus Christ. Whereas the other gospels kind of start in with some history, uh, maybe a genealogy, talking about the birth of Jesus. John just gets right into it, talking about the person of Jesus Christ. And we call these the gospels because Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, what they're really doing is they're taking us through the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They're getting us into the earthly ministry of Jesus. They're getting us into the words that Jesus taught and instructed, which are what present us with life and truth. We know this is written by John the Apostle. He tells us in chapter 21, 24, which again, we'll, I don't know how long it'll take before we get to chapter 21. But this is what he says, that he is bearing witness 
talking about himself, John, about these things and who has written these things. So John describes himself as being the one who has written these particular words. And then when we go to chapter 20, verses 31, to give us kind of a, an overall theme of where, where John is trying to drive at with his gospel, this is what he said. He tells us he's, he's not being vague. He tells us the reason why he wrote these words. And he says in chapter 20, verse 31, he says, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And how John is doing that in the introduction that we just read is by providing a vision of who Jesus is in all of his grandeur, in all of his majesty as the second person of the Trinity. When we say Trinity, we're talking about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, which the Bible teaches would be one God, but in three distinct persons. Jesus would be considered the second person of the Trinity. And so what we learned this morning from John as he's kicking us off is that Jesus is the Word of God made flesh who was sent by God for the purpose of illuminating hearts and healing the separation that exists between God and mankind, which was the mission of Jesus as he came to the earth. Here's what's so interesting is that whether you're coming in new or you've been in church circles for years and years, I don't know what your experience has been with maybe different church traditions or denominations or, or your history with different churches, but a lot of times we, we lose Jesus in, in everything that we sort of say and do and, and sometimes even practice. Jesus is the one that is most visible through all of Scripture. And yet, as Christians, one of the things that we struggle with is losing like, just this vision of Jesus Christ in, in all of his godness, if I can say it that way, and, and all of his beauty, all of his grandeur, all of his magnificence. And so what John is doing here is right from the very beginning, he's saying, here is Jesus. Here he is. In all of his glory, here he is. Maybe you saw this, there was a, a YouTube clip going around um, about this guy. It was really cool. It was about this guy named Richard Griffin. And um, it was in light of the Queen's death a couple of weeks ago. And uh, he, was, he was one of the Queen's royal officers for, he said, 14 years. And he was like a personal officer to her. Um, by way of like protecting her. So she, when, she was kinda, when she was just kind of going through her day or, or traveling outside of the castle, he would be by her side to make sure uh, that she was okay. But he told this really interesting story. He said one time when they were at one of the country houses that the queen owns and they were going on a picnic, they ran into these two American hikers. And... Um, the American hikers just stopped. They started having a conversation. It was just the four of them standing in the middle of the countryside. And um, here they are talking to the queen. They have no idea it's the queen. They're just chatting. Hey, we're just hanging. We got a couple weeks vacation here in the UK and it's been great. And they're just sort of shooting the breeze. And then uh, they ask her where she lives. And she says, well, I got a house in London. And, and I also got this country house that I spend some weekends at. And they're still not, they're not getting it. It's not, it's not registering uh, to them. And um, 
then they ask her, they say, well, gosh, you know, because she described herself as being, you know, like, you know, in her 80s. And they said, well, gosh, I mean, ha have you ever met the queen? You know, we've, that's, that's all we've been talking about is what would it be like to like go on this vacation and, and see the queen? And she quickly responded. She goes, I haven't, but this guy has. <laughs> and so in just, I mean, in this just, per the way he describes it, this perfect moment of irony um, they give their camera to the queen to take a picture of them and the royal officer because he had met the queen. And, um, and the queen just, I mean, she just played ball the whole time, loved it. And, uh, and she said, if only I could be a fly on the wall when they show that picture to somebody and somehow it dawns on them that they were actually talking to the queen and they didn't even know it. We can become oblivious to write what's in front of our face. And if we're Christians and we've been saved by the work and the person of Jesus Christ, some of this language just goes in and then out. And as we read the first 18 verses of John, what's beautiful about it is there's a sense where John is making sure that it doesn't, that we are a people that are invested and that are taken back and that are growing in our affection and knowledge of all things Jesus, right? We're a church that wants to make everything about Jesus Christ, right? So what does John want his readers to know about the person of Jesus Christ? That's what we want to unpack because here's the thing. What you know and what you believe and what you love about Jesus changes everything. It changes everything. How do we know that's true? Well, because that applies to everything else in your life, right? That's how products are promoted to you. Something that's life-changing, right? You need this, not because you're going to use it and then not be the same, but because you're going to use it and it's going to create some life-altering experience for you, right? You buy something expecting your life to change. The difference with Jesus is that he bought us. Jesus purchased us. He paid our debt to God so that our lives would become what they were always intended to be. Not always on this earth. That would be a prosperity gospel that says, man, you lock in with Jesus and everything just gets rosy forever. Now, that's not what the Bible teaches. But the Bible teaches that life with Jesus is a return to our humanity. It's a return to our wholeness. It's a return to us being in a relationship with a person that is responsible for the healing of our hearts and our lives, to the restoration of the most important relationship in the world that went badly all the way back to the Garden of Eden when our first parents, Adam and Eve, sinned and thrust us and thrust this world into a particular kind of decaying state that Jesus had to come in order to restore. So as a church, we, we want to have our eyes and our hearts and our focus fixed on Jesus. And John tells us something about the person of Jesus, which again gives us just a, a, a realization of why that's so important for us. First thing John points out is that Jesus is God. In the beginning 
was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It sounds interesting and kind of strange that John uses the, the, the word word or logos, which Jeff, Jeff, Pastor Jeff before the service said, I'd, lo- I'd love to hear what you're going to do with that word, because this is kind of a confusing passage. And I said, well, no pressure. Now, that's great. I feel good about that. But this is what it means when John describes Jesus as being in the beginning and being the word and being the word that was with God and the word was God. What does it mean calling Jesus the word? Well, very simply, and we could probably do a six-week series on this, right? But very simply, it means to show us the person of Jesus and the place that he has in, in redemptive history from the, from, the, from the creation of the world all the way till the end and where Jesus fits as God and as being with God uh, the Father. God spoke the world into existence, meaning his word, the very word of God, has the power to bring nothing into something. God's word is what gave us the law, right, when it was presented to Moses on the mountain. His word is something that has power. His word is something that creates. And then the absolute, what we would say maybe is pinnacle of God's word, as we know it, is Jesus Christ. The revealing of his word to us as a person. Now again, we could go so much deeper into what the word word means. But John is opening his gospel with words that echo back to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, remember, what do we read? The first words in scripture are, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. What John is pointing out is that Jesus is not a creation of God the Father like we are, but that he has always been eternally in relationship with the Father. Jesus had no beginning, but he was with God at our beginning. And he shares equality with God himself, even though he is a distinct person from God. Now, what other religions attempt to do, not all of them, but some other religions attempt to strip Jesus of his godness, or, or a fancy word for that is deity. They try to say, well, I mean, he was, he was a great guy, but he wasn't really God. He wasn't equal with God. And scripture would tell us something far different from the words of Jesus himself who put himself in equality with God as John is doing here in these first 18 verses. Some other religions claim that he was a God rather than being the God as part of the Trinity. But for Jesus, listen to this, for Jesus to be our savior, he has to be God, right? If he is anything less than God, then he is less than able to be our redeemer. So John is pointing out here in these first 18 verses, make no mistake about this person that we call and know as Jesus Christ who made some outrageous claims about himself during his earthly ministry. Let's remember who he claimed to be and who he proved in his earthly ministry by his death, by his resurrection to be in equality with, and that is none other than God himself. Jesus has to be God or the work that he did is ineffective for us. And as Paul said, we we would be people that would be most to be pitied. So we hold on to this truth that permeates scripture that Jesus is equal with God. Because as soon as we start sliding off that, everything else gets funky, right? 
Everything else breaks down. Everything else starts being untrue, if I can say it like that. You know, we went to, uh, Melissa and I went to Honey Haven Farm the other day. And, uh, oh man, we, uh, we bought some sweet corn from Honey Haven. And I took a bite and I looked at Melissa and I made a declaration. And I said, I, th- I told this to Scott too. I said, I think this is the best corn I have ever eaten in my life. It was unbelievable. I mean, it was just, it was crunchy, but it was the right kind of crunch. And it had like this sweetness that just literally was almost like eating candy. It was like, I felt like I was having like dessert vegetable, you know, during that moment. It was, I feel like, what am I doing the food channel right now? But it was like incredible. It was just incredible. It was just, it was the best corn I ever tasted, but it wasn't the best apple I ever tasted. It was the best corn I ever tasted. It needed to be what it was for it to have the effect on my life that it did, which was best corn ever, right? It can only be what it was. Jesus can only be God because if he's not, then he's something else. As G.K. Chesterton, an old writer, theologian at the turn of the 19th century said, he's 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 either God, lunatic, or, or liar, because he, he said some crazy things about himself being God. Those are the only alternatives for us as we think about or we want to question if Jesus was who he said he was. And you know, for those of us whose hearts have been changed to believe in who Jesus said he was, the person of Jesus being God, this knowledge of who he is, it's meant to fill us with awe. It's meant to fill us with wonder. What John is doing here in these first 18 verses is he's giving us this this high-definition version, picture, image of Jesus Christ because at the end of the day, there really is no other version. We create. We create our own low-fidelity pictures, images, versions of Jesus. But Scripture doesn't do that. And we're really going to get no more grandiose, full, high-definition picture of who Jesus is than we do in these first 18 verses. It is our flesh that creates a a dimly lit view of the greatness of Jesus Christ. So for 28 years, and that is not an exaggeration, we have had a TV that is basically the size of a toaster. All right, Um, guys, it's been fine. It's been fine. We can see the actors on it. We can mostly hear what they say if it's turned up loud enough and there's literally no other noise in the house. Um, But recently we thought, huh, is it time to update? You know, it's only been 28 years. Could this thing just keep us going for another 28 if we even have 28? So we went to Sam's and we looked at some new TVs and they all come with this amazing thing called high def resolution. And when we saw it, It felt like maybe, I don't know, we've never actually watched TV before. We were standing there at Sam's looking at this picture. Um, Everything was so clear. It was incredibly clear. But you also realize as I'm watching this, you're like, dude, these actors aren't really that great looking. Like I'm seeing like everything, I'm seeing their face. And I'm like, oh man, I feel so much better about myself right now. Because certainly we don't walk around in high def, you know. But high def, it, it just exposes everything. You don't miss anything. It shows everything for what it actually is. What's so important about John 1, 1 through 18, 
is that John is providing Jesus for us in high-definition language. He goes all the way back to Genesis to show us that Jesus existed before creation, during creation, because he is the creator of everything that has life and breath. Turn with me to Colossians chapter 1, and let's look at how Paul echoes what John says here in Colossians. Colossians, when you want to make a hard right, go up a few books to Colossians. And we get to verse 15 in chapter 1. Look at what Paul says about Jesus. He says, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. That doesn't mean he was created. That's using language to, to, to help us understand that Jesus was before all things. And then in verse 16, it says, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Verse 19, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. I mean, that's just an amazing counterpart to what John leads us through in verses 1 or 18 to just once again just show us this, just this grandiose picture of Jesus Christ. And you know what that causes us to do? It causes us to step back and think, if that is true about Jesus, and we believe that it is as the church, what can't we trust him with? What can't you trust Jesus with when he is described in this kind of vivid language? What in your life feels too much or too big or too complex for Jesus, the creator of the universe, to contain, to hold in his hands, to make sense of, to keep you secure within. What can't we trust Jesus with? He is our creator. And because he's our creator, he knows everything there is to know about his creation. That's why these verses are so important for us as the church. We could just do a series on this every week and we'd be, we'd be good, right? Jesus is not a version of God. He is not God junior. He is not God's mini-me, but he is fully God, existing with God before the foundation of the world that he himself is responsible for creating. John wants us to understand the significance and the magnificence of this person, Jesus, who came in the flesh, who dwelt among us and made the glory of God visible to those who were eyewitnesses to his life and death and resurrection. It's why, we, it's why we see people exclaim the things we do. And we'll see this as we get into the book of John and we look in the other gospels. It's why we see people who have an encounter with Jesus say the things that they do, right? It's why the, the disciples said things like, who is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Who is this guy? It's why the apostle Peter said, you are the Christ, 
the son of the living God. Peter couldn't see it any other way after he had seen what he had seen, spending the time with Jesus that he had spent. There was no other conclusion for him to come to. It's why the Roman centurion who watched Jesus die on the cross said, truly this man was the son of God. This confrontation with the person of Jesus Christ, it fills us with awe. It fills us with wonder. It makes us a church that goes, the answer is Jesus Christ. The focus is Jesus Christ. The heart of this body is Jesus Christ. The greatness of Jesus is impossible to ignore. Why? Because he's God in the flesh. That's what John's telling us. So Jesus is God. Secondly, Jesus is the true light. John describes for us in verse 9. And then in verse 5, he's the light that shines through the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. So we have this imagery of this greatness of Jesus that gets extended into describing him as this light. This imagery of light that John uses. That draws us again, by the way, back to Genesis when God said what? Let there be light. And what happened after that? There was light. There was light. When God speaks, all kinds of illumination begins to happen, which is why Jesus is described as the true light. Because there's all kinds of lights. It's why he's described as the illuminating light of the world. David in the Psalms talked about this light in Psalm 36 when he says, For with you is the fountain of life. And look at the way he describes this. He says, in your light do we see light. There's other lights, but what is the illuminating light that gives light to all the other things that are potentially going to deceive us? That are going to create sort of a, a dim light that doesn't allow things to be exposed and in focus in our lives. We need the light of Jesus is what John is trying to tell us. There's a reason why he calls Jesus the true light. The light that is the light of men and a light that, he said, darkness cannot overcome. John is making a distinction between what is real light and what is counterfeit light. John is like, he's like, to be clear, John the Baptist, great guy, was not the true light. But he was sent by God to be a witness to the light that was Jesus, even though... His own people did not believe or receive the light that he brought. We're going to unpack verses 12 and 13 a little bit more next week. Like, here's what this means. You and I can see light, but until we get close enough to it, it's not providing illumination for us. Does that make sense? So here's a confession. Sometimes I wake up in the middle of the night when I can't sleep and I, and I end up, I'll, I just got to get out of bed because I'm wide awake. And I'm thinking mostly about all you guys, right? And I go into another room, and I turn on a lamp, and I, I read while trying not to despair that it's 3 a.m. and I can't sleep. Um, if Melissa wakes up and looks underneath our bedroom door, she can see that there is a light on somewhere. But that light doesn't help her see anything near her. She has to get close to the light for it to actually be effective and illuminating to her. To be near the light 
is the only way she will see what the light gives her vision to see. This is describing what happens to our souls when the light of Christ penetrates our souls and overcomes the darkness that exists upon our birth. When the light of Jesus penetrates your soul, then, what does it actually illuminate? What is it making clear? What is it bringing to light? What is, this, what is the light that brings light to all the other light trying to illuminate in your life? What is it doing? Well, it's illuminating the glory of God, first and foremost. It's illuminating the knowledge of God, that there is a God who created the world. It's illuminating the presence of God, that not only is he God that, it, that created the world, but he came close to us through Jesus. It's also illuminating the depth of our sin, the state of our soul, and our desperate need for Jesus to expel the darkness in our hearts. Light shows you what you can't see. Because without Christ, you exist in the dark. Light also exposes your eyes to what you don't want to see. John mentions that even though the world was made through Jesus, the world and he, his own people even, did not receive him. Now again, we're going to unpack verses 12 through 13 more deeply next week. But one of the themes of the Gospels is that the people Jesus came to rejected him because they didn't believe that he was God at the end of the day. Their hearts were hardened. They had been illuminated with the light of Jesus. But they were not able to believe or receive Jesus because their hearts remained in darkness about who he was. They had him right there speaking those words, performing those incredible miracles, rising from the dead on the third day, and yet they still didn't believe. It's like the story with the queen. She was right there, and they just couldn't see her. Her identity, for some reason, remained unexposed to her. On a lesser level, we see that all the time. We choose not to believe things that are right in front of our face because to believe it might be inconvenient. To believe it might put us in a place of fear or discomfort. But we miss out then on the life that the light of Jesus provides for us. Jesus is the true light. And John finally wants his readers to know that he dwelt among us. Literally, this dwelt among us means he, he pitched his tent. Think of it like that. He dwelt among us like he pitched his tent among us. Like he's in one of those chairs right now, and he is. But literally thinking of him in his incarnation as God in the flesh, coming to earth, being with people in the flesh, pitching his tent, it brings us back to the Old Testament again. Brings us back to the image of the temple that the Israelites had where they, they had to, to pitch a tent everywhere they went because the temple, which was just a temporary structure, was the place where God dwelled. How is it different now? Because of Jesus, he has now become the temple where God's presence is imparted to his people. And we now find our home in him. Not only that, but because the Holy Spirit now dwells in us, we are described as a temple we are described as a dwelling place where the Holy Spirit pitches his tent in us, so to speak. This is the glory that John is describing. And to see the glory of God in all his glory is to see 
Jesus Christ. And John tells us that this glory that he came in is full of grace and truth. Another way to say it's full of grace and truth, another way to phrase that is to say it comes with the steadfast love and faithfulness of God. Against words that we say a lot here, which is good, but sometimes they just kind of go in one ear and out the other. Jesus came full of the steadfast love and faithfulness of God. He is the pinnacle of God's revealed grace and truth to humanity. Until Jesus, nobody had seen God in the most complete way. And that's what he means in verse 18. Jesus presented us with a picture of God in the most complete way that had been obscured up until that point. And not only that, but that grace and truth comes with just heaps upon heaps of grace. It's not like just Jesus came, had a little grace and truth, kind of doled it out while he was here, went back up to the right hand of the Father, and now we're just waiting for like some scraps. We're just waiting for that, you know, those days when it rains and the rain comes down and we get a little more of, of, of the grace and truth of Jesus Christ. No, it is coming down like a flood all the time. It's grace heaped upon grace. It's like standing in one of those fancy pools, right? Where these guys built these amazing pools and they built these waterfalls in the pool. And so there you are, you're like neck deep in the water and you go stand under that waterfall and you got the, you got the water all the way up here. The water's falling on your head. You like gotta, you're trying not to drown, right? There's so much water. You're just surrounded by water. That's grace heaped upon grace. That's the image of it. It's just there. It is overflowing into your life. Such is the grace and the love and the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. It is crazy what John is trying to communicate to us in verses 1 through 18. He's using all this vibrant and beautiful and imaginative language to describe Jesus. He wants his readers to know who Jesus really is so that we can be illuminated by his light and we can live with the blessing of his grace and truth, his steadfast love, his faithfulness in our hearts and lives. Listen, the Christian life all comes down to Jesus. It doesn't make it any less complex, but it really all comes down to believing Jesus, receiving Jesus, loving Jesus, living a life in light of the light that he has manifested in our hearts this just transforms our thinking. It transforms our, our way of living and our way of being. We start seeing Jesus as the forefront of all the different aspects and details and intricacies of our life, right? We see Jesus as being the actual hero of the story. We see Jesus as being the only truly original artist and creator of all things. We see Jesus as the unmatched masterpiece when we look at all of these magnificent and beautiful created things. We see Jesus as the embodiment of beauty. We see Jesus as the very definition of hope. We see Jesus as the light of our lives. We see Jesus as everything, knowing that we can only become our everything in and through him. This just changes how you live. 
This changes how you live in the world. It changes how you work in the world. It changes how you parent in the world. It changes how you do relationships in the world. It changes how you pursue the things that you pursue in the world. It changes how you do everything when Jesus is the clearest, biggest, most grandiose, most upfront focus of your life. That's what John is trying to communicate to us. He's trying to communicate how much Jesus is responsible for our very light and life and being. So here's the encouragement. Here's what I want you to remember is that you come to church to connect with Jesus. You come to church to worship Jesus. You come to church to hear the word of Jesus Christ. You form community to grow in Jesus. You work, you live, you love, you play to serve Jesus. You create beautiful things to reflect Jesus. You learn. You grow in your knowledge of God's word in order to gain deeper knowledge of who? Of Jesus. You pray to commune with Jesus. How do I do that, pastor? How do I do that? Well, I don't think it's simple because we are battling our flesh, which is resistant to Jesus. But I think what we do is we come to him. We go to him. We go to Jesus. We don't treat Jesus like he is a far off deity on a distant planet, but we remember how close he is to us and that by his spirit, he's actually indwelling inside of us. He's pitched his tent in us and that he walks with us and that he is constantly restoring our soul. So we come to him, we make a movement in our hearts towards Jesus. We get into a pattern in our life that is acknowledging him in all things. And then we commune with Jesus. So we come to him as people who are weary and are heavy laden in our hearts. We also commune with him. We pray to him constantly. We bring everything that's on our minds to Jesus. And we cast our cares on him because we know that he cares for us and he proved his care for us by coming and dying for us. And so we can trust that his care for us is true. Like Charles Spurgeon said, when we can't see how his hand is moving, we trace his heart. We understand that this is a Jesus who is for us and cares for us. This is what we do. We make Jesus the love of our life and then we stand back and we see how our life changes as his love rules our life because he is the God over our life. As much as we lean and collapse and fall into the person, the heart, the mind, the hands of Jesus Christ, man, we will be a church of whom the world looks at and says, I want to know what's going on there. I want to know how I 
can experience this level of relationship and peace and joy and hope through the pain and meaning through the suffering. That is what is on offer for us through the beauty, the kindness, and the love of Jesus Christ. Amen? Let me pray. Lord, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his life, his death. Lord, we thank you that he is the true light, that he is God, that he has overcome the darkness, Lord, that our hearts are so often drawn to and that we are constantly in battle in. Lord, we pray that Jesus would meet us today in some unique way. And Lord, call us back to his truth as we read John verses 1 through 18, that it would fill us with hope. And Lord, that you would also show us your presence through the person of Christ. Lord, that we would remember to be grateful for his sacrifice, to be grateful for his life to us, because in him now we have life. And Lord, he has everything in our lives under his control, even when it feels so out of control. So God, we want to be a people that is all about your son, Jesus. So Lord, do that work in us. We know it's a slow work. And Lord, we thank you that that steadfast love and that faithfulness that describes the grace and truth of Jesus, where we know that it is just heaped upon us and we have more of it and more of it and more of it. So Lord, we can rest in that grace. We can rest in the love of Jesus Christ. Thank you that we have been given that. I pray that we can live in it today, we ask in Christ's name. Amen.